You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. What an incredible show we've got lined up here for you today. I'm really excited for this. William Sankey is CEO and co-founder of a company called Northspire, and they are really taking on uh, a big industry. Uh, so they, they, tell, they call themselves your intelligent digital project assistant. Uh, this is really for real estate developers and project delivery. It's more than just a project management system. Of course, in real estate, spreadsheets are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're in every single, every conversation we have, someone's disrupting the spreadsheet. But this is more than that. This is this is about providing smart analytics, leveraging AI. You know, it does things like anticipating costs and spend forecasting. They have something called Copilot Analytics, and we talk a little bit about that. And of course, visualizations and dashboards all the way down to the project manager and up to the CFO or principals on the project. William's story of how he got into prop tech, coming from development, working on a project at the Madison Square Garden is pretty incredible. I really love his approach. I think you'll take a lot away from this episode. So kick back, enjoy the show. Well, hey, William, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to have you here. I think this is going to be, um, I'm going to learn a ton because this is uh, an area I am not an expert in. Uh, so let's go ahead and just start with the basics first. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, great. Um, so I'm, I'm William. I am one of the co-founders here at Norsefire. And I guess, you know, high level, we're a real estate project delivery and decision making um, automation platform for delivering complex real estate projects. And I'll, I can probably unpack that a lot more um, as we have our conversation. But, you know, I think, you know, just to give you a little bit of background on myself, um, you know, I'm someone that's always had a passion for understanding and improving, I think, the way we build our cities. And I guess, you know, that's probably expressed itself in a couple different ways throughout my career and life. And so, you know, I, I started out actually studying architecture um, at Yale, pretty fascinated with the role architects play in built, making spaces, you know, um, livable, pleasing places to experience. Um, and, you know, while I, I loved architecture, um, I thought there was a little bit more to the story of our built environment and making it better. So I, I actually went to study urban planning and real estate development in grad school at uh, the Harvard School of Design. And I think this is where, I guess, on my end, I really cultivated my interest in real estate development. And I think the people that are actively working to implement changes uh, to the landscape of our city. So, you know, after grad school, I went into the traditional side of the real estate development industry at Jones Lang LaSalle. Um, it was a great place to really sort of cut my chops initially in the industry. Um, you know, back in 2011, um, I think it was a really interesting time coming off of the heels of the, I guess, the financial crisis and the Great Recession. 
and uh, years prior to that, really tough for the real estate industry. And so, you know, I think one of the benefits of that, um, at least in terms of the evolution of how I, I sort of you know, came to where I am is that, you know, there were very few iconic projects going on at the time because of that. And I was fortunate to land on one of those. Um, they were doing a billion dollar expansion um, and transformation of Madison Square Garden, the arena in New York City. I, we had this all-star lineup of project leads that who in normal times, they would have all been running their own signature projects. Um, you know, things like, uh, you know, just really iconic projects. But because of the market, they were all sort of on the team I was working with. Uh, and, you know, I sort of was assistant to the project executive. So I sort of had this bird's eye view wow. of watching like this dream team of sorts go about how they operated. And so, you know, that was my first entry into to real estate development. And, you know, I went on to work for some other great developers in New York, worked for Harry Macklow um, on some visionary like condo development projects, worked for Madison Realty Capital and their development team, all types of projects, rental buildings, um, historic warehouse conversions in the Brooklyn Navy Yard and then in the South Bronx, um, condo buildings, mixed use, all types of projects. And, you know, I guess I, I loved real estate development. I still do. And I think one of the things I, I noticed pretty early on, Nate, was that, um, I guess I don't know how to put this. I think that like, you know, I noticed teams were delivering real estate projects using spreadsheets and that was a primary tool. Um, and No, I spreadsheets was, I, in a real estate project? Exactly, right? You know, pretty pretty ubiquitous, right? And I think... In some ways, I, I sort of noticed that was the primary tool everywhere I went. Um, people relied on those spreadsheets, uh, you know, and and by the nature of that, there was sort of a lot of reactionary decision making, a lot of gut decision making. And I think everything was just highly manual. And you saw a lot of errors, a lot of hours spent reconciling data to make decisions. So. I figured at some point, I, I looked around pretty early into my career, like right out of the gate, and I thought, wow, I'm surprised at this state of affairs, given that these are some really incredible projects and this is how like the sausage gets made. Um, and I figured maybe at some point it's going to be inevitable that a robot or some type of automation might do this manual legwork and analysis a little bit better than me, and I might be out of a job. So, so I started learning to code at night you know, primarily to future-proof myself. Um, and I guess for the next couple of years, I was sort of software developer by night, real estate developer by day, which is a little bit about how Northspire comes into being um, because at some point, uh, you know, I had a few insights and one of the tools I built to sort of automate parts of my day job, the core of that became a prototype for what is today Northspire. And so my, much smarter engineers than me have taken that and really made it the product that shines today. But that is a little bit of the background on like, like uh, how real estate guy gets to be tech guy uh, today. I love that. That is that. That's a journey right there. Sitting around. <laughs> and, I mean, first off, I I, I love the, the the story. of you, Here you are. You're working on Madison Square Garden. You're you're doing development in New York City, which you know is its own beast in its you know own right. And and, and you're saying, oh man, why is this, it's just spreadsheets everywhere? I just. I I just can't imagine uh the, what those file just the number of files and, and back and forths and do we have the right version and 
you know, just keeping track of that would have been such a nightmare. But the the idea of, hey, this is there's such an opportunity to make this better. Uh, all of us that are working on this project, we may not all be needed. Mm-hmm. And instead of how do I stop that from happening? You took the route of, well, maybe I could be the person who innovates on this. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's probably the most fascinating piece of that. It, you went in head and said, all right, let's innovate on this. Okay, so so we have all these spreadsheets. And we're not necessarily trying to kill the spreadsheets. But if you had to summarize the one problem or the real big problem that you guys are trying to work to solve, which I, as I'm already taking in here, is a behemoth of a problem. What is it? Yeah, I, I think, I, mean, I like to say that we are solving problems for the largest segment of the world's largest industry real estate. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, like I think the largest segment of the real estate industry is often people involved in the creation of real estate, the design, development, construction of real estate. People talk a lot more about the transactional side of real estate, but you have this big part of the iceberg below the surface. Um, and I think, you know, it's, there are a multitude of problems there. Right? And I think we try to empower real estate developers and teams working on complex capital projects to deliver projects using advanced technologies like automation, data analytics, artificial intelligence. Um, and I think we sort of do that in a lot of ways, right? You, there, that big picture, and we can sort of dig into it as projects go over budget, projects are behind schedule. But I think, you know, if you think about like what teams are doing when they're running projects, it's pretty complicated. A lot of different workflows. You know, on the one hand, you have teams are, they're trying to forecast the worst case scenario of where they think a project could end up maybe three years down the road and make adjustments beforehand so they don't meet that fate, right? Um, Then they're also probably sometimes keeping a separate set of books. Um, reporting monthly actuals to their financial partners, right? You don't want to show your financial partners the worst case scenario where this project could go. So, you know, but you probably need that to manage effectively, right? So sometimes they're keeping a separate set of spreadsheets um, just to do reporting to investors and financial partners. Totally makes sense. Kind of lines up with one of my favorite quotes from Shark Tank. I think I think it's from Shark Tank. Uh, Kevin O'Leary said yeah. something along the lines of, "I've never seen a a, a set of projections I didn't love," <laughs> you know. And but of course he's an investor, you know. <laughs> you don't send him the worst case scenarios. But I see what you're saying. Like you you have to have some contingencies and do your diligence there. On hey, what if this goes awry, or what could happen here that would totally dismantle this project and and take it off the rails. Exactly. If you're a good developer, you're definitely doing that, right? And so that means, you know, it, that takes a lot of work and lots, hundreds of tabs and spreadsheets and versions of spreadsheets, right? But then keeping a separate set of actuals, just as much, right? And so, you know, you have teams doing that. They're trying to make decisions that drive the project forward. They're managing hundreds of different vendors, think architects, engineers, things that you might not think of, like door hardware consultants, elevator consultants, permit, permitting us, right? All these hundreds of vendors, mm-hmm. um, they're negotiating changes to these vendors' contracts on a constant basis, hundreds, right? Um, and I think often um, teams are even planning their next project while they're running this project, right? So they have all these things going on at the same time, all in spreadsheets. Um, each of them alone is just like a very difficult, time-consuming thing that's fraught with risk. Um, and difficulties. Um, and so I think what what we noticed was that in real estate development, I think even though it's a pretty knowledge-based industry with a lot of high value talent, expensive talent, 
right? Um, we noticed that those people were still spending like 30, 40% of their very expensive hours on low value administrative tasks instead of being focused on the strategic direction of their projects and, and creating value. And so, you know, that led to things being over budget, over schedule and financial outcomes that just sometimes aren't as positive and sometimes catastrophic, right? And so I think, you know, if you're looking at the scale of this problem, right, across the U.S. every year, about $2 trillion gets spent annually on building development and construction, right? And globally, that number is about $10 trillion. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, and, and oftentimes, I'm not a developer, but oftentimes I hear people when they talk about developing, they talk about the permitting process. Mm -hmm. They talk about the fees and permits are killing the yield and, and it make the deal so impossible. And, and prior to the show here, a little research, something like 78% of corporate and public projects end up over budget. Now, from, from, so, so from my perspective, just looking at it, that doesn't sound like permitting and fees is your problem. It sounds like project management is is really the the problem here that everyone's encountering because of how complex is it so what are some of the concrete ways Norspire is really solving that yeah no i think um yeah it's pretty incredible like that stat you mentioned like three quarters of projects like going over budget and it just like has been pretty consistent you know you see version of this it's good if you're a vendor in this scenario <laughs> exactly right um i mean the way I look at it, right, and I think it, there's a complicated answer where you could you could probably teach a semester long class on why why that happens, right? But I think the simple part of it, to some extent, is there's sort of like two big issues that I sort of can frame it as. Like one is what you just mentioned there, right? Like it's execution by the development team and their broader team, our vendors, all their consultants that they work with, um, on executing effectively on the project, right? And there's a lot of little sub ways things go wrong in terms of project management execution, whether it is errors in the design drawings or miss scope when you when translating design drawings to buying out what the construction team thinks they're supposed to build versus what you think they're supposed to build, right? Which is not always 100% aligned, right? Um, there are sometimes like unforeseen field conditions. Right. These are all things that like given better execution, you can really mitigate and minimize these things. Right. So I think a big part of it that people often think about is this project went over budget because execution probably was not as great as it could have been. Um, the, the second thing um, is that sometimes the budget was just wrong to start with. And I think this is something mm -hmm. we see a lot. Actually, I think this is a, a pretty big driver. Right. Is that because the industry is just so fragmented and data is so fragmented and projects take so long to complete, what you often see is when someone's starting a project, they are looking back at information from their past project five years ago or call- And this is something that you guys do. You help with that automating of benchmarking right <laughs> in the platform so they can bring in past projects. Do you have third-party data that you're also bringing into and anonymizing so that they can hedge better or something? So one of the things we do today is we help teams leverage their own institutional and historical data and knowledge, right? So we do that today, right? I think one of the nifty things about our technology is, um, and I'll, I'll sort of say a little bit more, right? Like one of the reasons it's traditionally hard to benchmark data is because every project is a little bit different. Everybody has a different spreadsheet. 
And every project calls for a slightly different way to categorize things. So that sure. makes it, yeah. you know, there's no standard schema for categorization. In construction there is, but in the broader development world, there's not. And so I think one of the neat things about Norspire is we have this proprietary technology that allows us to map, like, even if you have different categorizations between different projects, it could look like apples and bananas. We can map that apples to apples. And on our back end, the neat thing is we can map uh, that data across the entire universe of our data set that we have, which is tens of billions of dollars of projects a day, right? And right, while we don't feed that data back to customers today, um, most customers are very much aware that our intention is to start doing that maybe as soon as this year. Um, so, you know, at the very least today, customers are now leveraging institutional knowledge. It's not like uh, Jennifer worked here for 10 years. She left. She knew everything about these projects. Nobody can decipher her spreadsheets, and now we have to reset or, or pick up the phone and call our colleagues to figure out, hey, what should I be paying for this now? What should be my budget right now? Mm -hmm. At the very least, you have this like database that's searchable, easy to sort of pull, and now you're making just like smarter, more informed decisions about what the budget should be on that side of the uh, equation about why things go over budget. A lot, that's a, that's fascinating because you, you kind of touched on there, right? I mean, sometimes the repeatability mm -hmm. of something is based on key talent. And while, you know, talent of certainly can make it break a different, you know, a project, if that talent goes on and maybe ventures on their own or they move to a, a different firm, now, now how are you interpreting that? But what you're talking about here is being able to normalize projects in one project platform uh, and be able to visualize and understand that. And then because of the data that you guys have, you're able to give indicators of whether or not that developer is on the right path or not with that project, whether it be, you know, vendor costs or, or other um, items that may come up in the project. And that is pretty well, uh, pretty unique. You touched on something you said, you know, you guys have been a part of uh, tens of billions. And I think the, the website says you guys have helped developers complete about 25 billion uh in projects so that, i mean first off congrats to you obviously you guys have built a few different things at least one or two projects uh, is there maybe a, a one of the largest projects or perhaps a, a unique use case uh that you can share of course you'll feel free you don't have to say which customer or location uh but certainly want to give a little concrete example here of how developers have really been benefiting from using the, this sort of smarter technology yeah, I mean, we do all types of projects, right? So, you know, pretty much every asset class we've done it. We've built uh, billion dollar sports arenas for NHL teams um, that I, I won't name, but uh, like, you know, you probably can figure out who has new arenas these days. Um, you know, we've worked on complex mixed use projects. Um, for example, uh, you know, if you look at the Fannie Mae campus and uh, the historic Fannie Mae campus in Washington, D.C. They've done the government sold off that building to a developer. And there's a massive mixed use project, sort of a city within a city. Right. That's being built, leveraging technology. Is that the one right across the street from the school? Um, I have not been there myself and I don't know D.C. super oh. well. Um, are you are you in D.C., Nate? So here, here's the thing. I'm not in D.C. I used to intern there, but this is a very true story. I don't know if I've okay. ever told this on the podcast. The school across the street is where uh, Malia and Sasha uh, went to okay. school. Mm -hmm. And one of the very last BMX stunt shows that I announced, I used to announce professional BMX stunt shows 
believe it or not, and then give talks about staying off drugs, don't be a bully, follow your dreams. And that was one of the last ones I did. And I was told they were in attendance. Uh, It was because when I asked about why are there these guys that look like Secret Service running around here. Now, I could be (laughs) totally wrong about that. But as far as I know, I had an opportunity to encourage Malia and Sasha to stay off drugs and follow their dreams. (laughs) That's my connection there and why I ask. (laughs) That's that's pretty amazing. Maybe you influence... Maybe maybe uh, the 50th president of the U.S., right? So. <laughs> yeah, I doubt that. So, so okay, so, so but, but they're using, they're using, uh, they're doing a mixed-use project there. So, obviously, like, that's an, uh, and, and a lot of DC infrastructure is pretty old, and there's unique uh, requirements in building there. First off, you can't go certain heights, so you need to know that. Mm-hmm. And it's on top of an, a swamp. So, mm-hmm. certain types of buildings well, may not have solid footing. And so you're going to need to account for all that. And of course, that impacts cost, impacts building requirements. And all this needs to be logged and accounted for and planned for. And so you guys were able then to accompany and work with that that developer in completing that project. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and you know, that project is massive and ongoing. So it's a project that continues. A lot of it is complete, um, but it continues. Um, and I think... You know, if I were to get very specific, uh, Nate, like one customer that we can talk about was one of our first customers, um, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. They own mm. a little under a million square feet of real estate in the center of Midtown Manhattan. Most people don't think of art museums uh, as real estate developers, but in a sense, they are, right? Um, and they were doing a massive uh, $500 million expansion, which is complete now. Um, and incredible new galleries. Uh, they turned to Northspire. They were one of our earliest customers. I think um, the leader of their real estate team there, Jean Savitsky, wow. she saw the value. She's someone that's worked on incredible projects like the Bank of America Tower in New York. Uh, she saw the value. She sort of had a, a really good sense of, you know, this is a really complex project. We have to be really good stewards of all philanthropists that have donated money to the museum all of their capital. And we also have to achieve the mission of the museum on budget, yeah. right? Extra importance. And so yeah. I think she brought in Northspire. She had the foresight. And um, I think what they were able to accomplish was bringing in that project on schedule, I think is pretty amazing. If you're ever in New York and Midtown, definitely check out the MoMA. That is a, that's I'd love to go back years. to MoMA. Yeah, it's been a few mm-hmm. years, but now I've got a really good motivation to get back and, and see this renovation. So thank, mm-hmm. thanks for uh, mentioning that. I want to talk about, uh, we'll shift gears here a little bit um, and, and talk about some of the, a little bit more about uh, Northspire as a, as a company. You guys are growing incredibly fast, uh, but this is not a space where you can just run some Facebook ads, uh, generate a lead mm-hmm. and you know close a sale in a week. There's probably quite a lead time. What's been driving the growth at Northspire? Yeah, so... You know, I, we've had a really incredible run. I think, you know, since we raised our Series A back in 2020, early 2020, we've, at this point, we've grown five times over, right? Um, almost six times over. And so I think what we're seeing is just wow. this industry. You know, if you look at the construction industry, um, when I came into, you know, this general space, a little more than a decade ago at this point, they were all using spreadsheets too, right? And now you would think, wow, that construction company must be incompetent if they think I'm going to hire them and they're going to run everything on just spreadsheets alone, right? And I think 
that transformation and thinking and how you operate is all now happening at the real estate owner's level. They look over and they see their construction company has better software than they're using, right? Their property management team has better software than people that are the key decision makers on projects that are hundreds of millions of dollars with hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. And so I think on, on the one hand, I think what Northspire is able to do for the first time is this is the first time they've had a purpose-built technology um, for what they do, for what real estate owners do, is not a force-fitted tool from construction, force-fit to work for them, uh, that gets 60% of the way there, is not a bolt-on to an accounting system, some legacy accounting system with some type of module that bolts on, right? This was a tool that was, in a sense, like built for developers by developers, right? Um, and I think that has really resonated with teams, um, I think, from one point, right? And I think the second key part of it is this is the first time we're bringing these advanced technologies to the real estate development and project delivery space. So if you think about a lot of things that have existed in the past, I like to call these legacy applications like Cloud 1.0. They took work people maybe were doing as spreadsheets and they put that work in the cloud, but you still had to do all the data entry, all the work. Um, in fact, sometimes it was even worse because it was rigid. Maybe your boss installed this system so they could get visibility. But now, like it was super rigid. It was hard for you to effectively manage. You wanted to change something. It was it was super cumbersome and clunky. And so what we saw with teams that were even using these type of legacy systems were the decision maker on the project was almost always still using a spreadsheet and then dumping information into these systems so management could see it. Right? They weren't using it as a decision making tool. So we're, Northspire, we have this like cloud 2.0 philosophy. We're not just moving work to the cloud and saying, good job, right? Our, our philosophy is we want to eliminate the work altogether using automation. Um, but then the second part of that is we want to proactively comb through the data, looking for actionable insights and proactive next steps. So when we see things that might cause a challenge or problem on your project, it's almost like having a digital assistant project manager in your back pocket. Like, Think of Northspire as that like that team of analysts that's going to raise their hand and say, hey, Nate, like you, you got 600 pieces of data coming into your project this month. I know it's a lot of work for you to figure out like all the different variations of how this could cause your project to go poorly. Don't worry. We've done all the work. We're going to raise the flag for you where we see there are problems or where we see opportunities where you can sort of put your your foot to the, uh, the pedal a little bit and play a little bit of offense. So that's what I think. Northspire allows teams to do, and it's incredibly powerful, right? Like it's giving what is one person in the past or maybe a team of like lots of people the power of just the infinite capacity of the cloud and AI to do a lot of the manual legwork and analyses that, you know, and that and that is that helps outcomes a lot. Who's the actual daily user mm -hmm. on the platform? And then who do you actually sell to? Because I imagine there's a little bit of a difference there and you have to find how do I bridge the gap of interest and, and goals and alignments there? Yeah. So, you know, I if you look at Northspire, it's a relatively comprehensive product, right? So Northspire is, I would, you know, everybody loves a point solution that can get you to be this billion dollar company. Northspire is not a point solution. Um, there it has a lot of complex things that it does at a lot of depth, right? And so I think what that means is it helps people in different roles within an organization as well. So, you know, if you think about frontline project managers who are making project leads that are making decisions day to day, Northspire is there serving up these proactive insights saying, hey, I saw you got this contract. 
I wouldn't accept that if I were you. This is going to cause a problem down the road, given the data that we have, right? Um, mm. But then it's also helping maybe more junior professionals where, as in the past, maybe you have people staying up to 11 p.m. at night at work trying to compile this 300-page draw request financial report to their financial partners at the end of the month, every single month, right? And now they can press a button and the machine can do that in 15 seconds, right? So now they're orienting what they do to more high order strategic thinking as opposed to being at the scanner ordering papers in this giant 300 page package that needs to go to the bank but the scanner's jamming in the middle of the night and you just wanna go home, right? Now, now software is doing that and you're focused on higher order things. And then people higher up in organizations think um, like managing principals or, or COOs, CFOs, they're using Northspire to get new newfound visibility into what's happening. You know, if you mm. were, let's say you were a COO in an organization or a head of development, in the past, maybe you had 20 projects going on and lots of different project managers, all of them had a different format, Excel spreadsheet. Maybe you had to sit down with each of them for an hour every two weeks to figure out what was going on. Now at Northspire, right, like you have dashboards that are giving you insights in real time and even flagging problems on those projects. Um, so that you don't have to be in the weeds or trying to figure out like how to decipher someone's spreadsheets, but the, the machine is surfacing what's important for you to know at your level. And then you can easily dive down levels to where it's relevant for you to jump in and out. Um, so I think we're bringing value at all levels. Um, you ask like, who do we sell to? I would say all those people usually can see value in the sales process, right? But I think the person who's often signing off and signing the check is usually someone that's probably mid-level to senior in an organization um, because Northstar is a premium product and it's not something that you're going to just put on your, your credit card. Um, it's not something you're going to put on your You guys don't card. take payment by check, do you? Come on now. So I'll tell you this, like we say we don't accept checks. But uh, we, we try to do everything ACA. <laughs> but if somebody rolls up with a check, I mean, what are you going to do? Say no? It, it, exactly. I hate to put this on the air, Nate, but like we say we don't accept checks, but I'll tell you what, we do have a, a method of accepting checks because people, real estate is traditional and people still send us checks despite us saying, please don't send us checks. So I love it. Uh, it's so good <laughs> because, you know, I mean, here, here we're talking about like you guys really have this advanced project delivery platform and analytics. And uh, then your customers are saying, uh, where do I mail the check to? <laughs> exactly. You know, That's just great. Which we tried. You get one, one battle at a time, right? You know, as long as the building is getting built better and faster, payment method, we'll worry about that another day. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that, that's good. Are, are there any markets that you're seeing uh, where developers are taking to this sort of tech more so than others, and you're seeing that as an opportunity to, to put more focus? Well, I, I guess my sense, right, is that Northspire, I think one of the great things is we're pretty asset type agnostic. So, you know, that's helped us a lot, especially in the past two years during the pandemic, where, you know, if you go back to 2019, a larger part of our customer base was things like co-working and office, right? You know, there was a period in 2020 where that sort of stopped for a while, right? People weren't sure about the future. I, I think now people are more bullish um, on the return, at least to certain types of office buildings, right? Um, but I mean, Facebook, Adidas, mm -hmm. you know, they, they just took out some massive leases. I know we're dating this episode, but within the last week, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Facebook 
right at the early set of the pandemic bought uh yep. i think it was rei rei had built this really big office complex and super cool kind of stuff or whatever and they never even moved into it they just put it up for sale mm-hmm. uh and i think facebook went and bought it uh, so yeah there's definitely those who say it's coming back we'll see yeah yeah exactly right and i i think yeah that's one of the things like you don't know where the fu- what the future holds and i think for us um we sort of were able uh, we saw a lot of multifamily and mixed use um, last mile warehouse distribution centers being built during the pandemic. And so we were able to grow extremely fast despite like the office segment being relatively slow. So I think all that to say we do, we're asset type agnostic, um, sports arenas, K-12, uh, affordable housing, um, life science, all of those projects are run on North Spire very gracefully. Art museums like the MoMA, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think in terms of of uh, geography, if you're talking about that type of market. Um, we were founded in New York and we are a New York-born uh, company, right? And so that is still, you know, New York is probably the greatest real estate city, uh, you know, at least in the country, maybe in the world, right? In terms of all the real estate happening there. And so that's probably still our largest single base of customers. But, um, you know, today we're probably across, I think we're probably in 36 major cities across the United States at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, New York remains our biggest market, but we're in every major market in the United States and even in Montana and Idaho at this point. South Dakota? No South Dakota yet to my knowledge. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll help. We'll, we'll find we'll find a project out here. Let's um, talk shop after. We'll, yeah, we'll get you out here. <laughs> Um, is there anything that you guys are working on? You know, every startup has those uh, ideas that this is going to be the ticket. They start working on it and it's either a flop or just totally what they didn't expect. Is there an example of that in your journey here of you tried building something or providing a solution that just wasn't going to work? Yeah, I guess, you know, I, it's a really good question. I think in in some ways... I think it also cuts to the heart of how we think a little bit as a company. I think um, at Northfire, we move really fast. Uh, most people are, you know, we listen really closely to our customers. Unlike, say, old school software where, you know, a customer makes a request and maybe it turns into reality three years later. You know, it's like, wait till this version comes out in two years, right? Um, at Northfire, we try to act almost like the software development backhouse to traditional real estate companies. So we're listening there. We actually, every single one of our customers has a real estate professional that's run real estate projects that works at Northfire and they're embedded in that organization to understand how they're using the platform and to be able to listen. So it's not even, you know, we speak the jargon, we, speak, we understand what they're trying to accomplish. And I guess I give you that background because that allows us to move pretty fast. Like we're making, we're rolling out two to nine updates every single day to the platform. A lot of that based on customer feedback. And I think, you know, to get to the heart of your question, right? It's like really great success when you roll out an update and every customer starts using it immediately, right? Um, A less good outcome, but maybe, you know, still positive to some extent is when you roll out a feature due to customer feedback, that was really super critical for maybe just a handful of customers. and you know maybe it's just a handful of customers that end up using that out of the gate even though you put in this tremendous amount of effort and so i think you know our customers always really appreciate like 
that we go the extra mile and thought we put in to try to be responsive um, while also keeping the platform graceful, right? Like you'd be surprised how many things we can do while keeping graceful such that you can pick up and use the platform within 10 to 15 minutes, not like some six month training course, right? Yeah. And I think with I think with that, because, you know, customers appreciate this because, you know, you might not need that feature every single day that we've built, right? You might not use it every single day, but it might be mission critical to your success twice per year, right? Like it might be completely mission critical to what you need to do twice per year. And I think you have the comfort of knowing that like at Norspire, we are gonna try to deliver those solutions for you so that you have good day-to-day -day solutions, features that we rely out that you use, you love and use every day, the ones that are also helping you when you're in a pinch for this problem that arises twice a year. And I think, you know, if it helps one customer and it solves this problem that was fundamental to the success of their project, I like to think maybe it didn't get mass adoption, but it wasn't quite a failure. Yeah, I love it. Uh, that's a great outlook and uh, perspective to, to uh, take to that. We're gonna totally shift gears here, William. This is sure. my favorite segment of the show. It's a game I like to call For the Future. For the Future okay. is where we get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. William, are you ready to play? I'm ready. One of these days, by the way, I'm gonna get a nice sound effect that comes in right there. Like we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna up, <laughs> up our game here. We're gonna have like a little intro music here. But all right, let's kick it off here. First one. What does Norspire look like one year from now? Ooh, ooh. If I had to look into my crystal ball, um, I think, you know, today we're sort of this early category leader in what we do. I think we're, you know, if you were to, to look around the industry, we are the becoming the system of operating system for teams that develop complex real estate projects. And and uh, people look around and, and there aren't other solutions that do what we do, right? And I think hopefully a year from now, we really cemented our place in this category as the leader, not only as just like from a product perspective, but also a thought leader to how to deliver projects under budget. And I think, you know, historically we haven't had a marketing team that was very big at Northfire, right? And I think a lot of what we are up to this year is for the first time trying to make sure we get the word out to everybody in the industry. Obviously the product is resonating. We've grown really fast. We have customers across the country now. And I think we're trying to get the word out. And maybe one one other thing I'll drop here is, I'll, I'll tease a little bit, is we're rolling out some new products uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and- uh, You can't say what it are, is? I love the I love the Tech Nest like listeners to um, to stay tuned and and maybe tune into our product launch, which is going to happen in a few weeks. Like we haven't announced exact time and date, but it will be out there pretty soon. And I think we're going to really broaden the value that we bring to customers and maybe start this journey into some of this, the data things we talked about a little earlier in our conversation. So a year from now, uh, I love to see see where where that is. All right. Question number two, what are some applications for AI and real estate development that are coming but aren't yet available? Ooh, ooh, coming but aren't yet available. So, I mean, my sense, you know, I think if you, what, about a, a decade ago, um, 
I hate to misattribute quotes and you know that's if you if you know me Nate like I'm always misattributing quotes and things so I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of say say the, the quote but I'm not gonna attribute it and I mean I out. attributed a quote back to Michael O'Leary and I, I, I can't remember if he said it I, I don't even know if I got his name Kevin O'Leary not Michael O'Leary Kevin O'Leary see I even got his name wrong so you, you get a pass here man you just say it's from someone and I don't remember who I think it's one of the Andres and Horowitz with, uh, team uh, partners, uh, but, you know, they said, you know, like software is eating the world, right? And I think, you know, I think that's proven Mark over Andrews. the past decade that, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So you knew. Got it. Excellent. Um, you should be on Jeopardy, Nate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think in the same way that, you know, like you're seeing software just like prevalent in every vertical at this point and increasingly. So I think... AI is just like much earlier in that journey, right? So I think mm-hmm. you have technologies like Norspire today, where in real estate, where we're bringing, we're proactively combing through data, giving you this early warning system and to what might happen on your project, and also like automating a lot of the legwork, right? That's one use case. You have awesome startups out there that are bringing technology and AI to where they can, you know, with the camera and devices out on site they can understand what construction progress is without a human having to be there every single hour of the day, which is hugely valuable. I've, right? see, um, I've seen that. Uh, and, and certainly comes in handy when there's like, isn't there supposed to be a vent here? No, nope, that looks like a wall. And then the progress photo shows there was a vent. Just drywall didn't like that vent. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you start to see AI creeping into the field and also into the office. Um, I'm, you know, I could venture a guess at where things are going to go in the future, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd probably be wrong, Nate. Like, there's, there's probably going to go way beyond even what I can sort of fathom right now. So, yeah. It's okay. We can be wrong on these. These are, these are predictions. I'm only going to hold you to them and, and we're going to have them on record. Uh, question number three. <laughs> What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Ooh, ooh. Um, maybe, maybe not to be too facetious, but I think increasing material prices and inflation. How about that? There we go. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and final for the future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Oh, what will change um, and fade away in real estate? I guess my sense is, you know, from where, where I sit at Northfire, um, I think you're just seeing this rapid transition of like one of the world's largest industries, right? One of the slowest to adopt technology. I think technology is now, you know, so much prop tech investment is happening and that's spurring so much innovation and teams are now open-minded to adopting that. At least from where I sit, I think one of the things you'll see fade away is the spreadsheet. Boom. All right. That's a bold, that is a bold statement. I like it. We back it up, Nate. All right. There we go. All right. (laughs) These these last three are more about you. So our listeners get to learn more uh, about you personally. Uh, First one here is what are you reading? Oh, um, you know, lots of different things. Um, I think if I had to say something I'm reading that's really interesting right now, I'd say there's a book called The Cold Start Problem. Um, it's a book by Andrew Chen, a partner at Andreessen Horowitz. 
Um, it's a pretty new book. So that book came out in December. Um, it's a book that goes about methodically defining and describing network effects. And I guess the, the role they play in sort of scaling companies. Um, Andrew sort of goes back to his time when he was an executive at Uber and also does a lot of interviews with like founding team members at places like LinkedIn and Tinder. And it's, I think, you know, you see people talk about network effects all the time, but when you, yeah. really, no one has really distilled and defined things in a way that I think Andrew does. And I think, I suspect this is going to get to be one of these canical books that everybody that's working on startup will read sort of like lean startup or something. I think you'll see that with uh, his book, Cold Start Problem. Great, great book. Yeah, it's not on my bookshelf that you can see behind me and the, the stack of books that oh, yeah. have yet to be organized here. But that sounds fascinating. I'd like to read that. I'll also point our listeners over to, uh, I get a lot of benefit from reading NFX uh, articles about Pete Flint, founder of uh, Trulia. And they do focus a lot of on network effects. So what I'd love is later on, after you, you, you wrap up that book and then review some NFX content, uh, I'll, take your, I'll, I'll look for your take on where do I go for the definitive guide to network effects and startups. Uh, and then I'll just, I'll stop reading the other one. So <laughs> looking at your, your bookshelf, Nate, we should have a, a book club right there. I'm, I'm, there it is. I'm yeah, this is, I'm selfish. I ask every one of the smartest people I know in this industry, what they read. This is oh. how I build my library. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> question number two, who are you learning from? I think, you know, I, I learn from a, a lot of people, right? Like there's so many smart people around me and around Northspire. Um, and I think, you know, I think maybe like if I'm thinking about this, like maybe is uh, I could think back actually to someone that I've learned a lot from in the past. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll sort of mention this person, um, a, a guy named Alexander Garvin. Um, Alexander Garvin was a professor of uh, the city at uh, Yale University for the past 50 years, but he was more than that. Um, he was a high-level government official in New York City, housing department, planning department. Um, he was a visionary leader behind some really incredible urban planning projects, like a lot of what's happening on Manhattan's west side, now called Hudson Yards. Um, a lot of that is you know, from some work he did um, way back, uh, Atlanta's Beltline has really transformed how that city organizes itself. Um, he helped lead the rebuilding of the World Trade Center site. Um, so, you know, he was also a brilliant academic that wrote a lot of great books about, you know, the great American city and what works and what doesn't work and very like human terms. And I think, you know, he would always refer to all the parties involved in creating our built environment as, um, what would he say? He would call it like a planning game in the sense he say there's there's developers, nonprofits, civic leaders, architects, all these different parties have a role to play in how our cities get built. built. And I think, you know, he was a really great mentor for me, um, first in university, but throughout career, very supportive of the role that he thought even we could play at Northfire and helping to change the built environment. And so, you know, I think I like to learn from a lot of people, but I think very few um, have I learned as much from as Alexander Garvin, who um, unfortunately passed away um, back in, in December. But I think, you know, his legacy lives on. And um, I'm happy to say that, like, you know, he's one of the people that I've learned the most from. Yeah. What a what an opportunity to have a mentor such as that. Last one here. What inspires you? Ooh, um, 
maybe closing the loop, right? I think, um, you know, I've just always, I'm always, I love technology and startups, right? But I'm, I think at the core, I'm super interested in how we build our cities, right? I think, you know, I started with architecture, urban planning, stuff like that, mm -hmm. ended up in real estate development. Um, I think building great places that make people f enjoy life, right? Places that are livable, um, but also places like housing, housing that is accessible and affordable. And I think, you know, the production of all these elements of what makes a great city, even the public realm and the projects that go into making, bringing those things to fruition, I think the production of all these elements that make a city um, with the existing processes just have been slow, difficult, unpredictable in some ways. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, this leads to cities that sometimes might be less dynamic, um, less affordable housing. And I like to think I'm, um, I'm pretty passionate and motivated by what we do at North Spire, um, you know, helping people deliver projects in a more predictable fashion. Because I think the bigger picture is this is helping people build cities faster, easier, in a more predictable sense. And I think, you know, it's this sort of incremental improvements that like at the end of the day just has this impact on people's lives that they don't know, you know, there's more housing, it's easier to live here because it was just much easier for this developer to build four buildings uh, instead of two because they were able to leverage these advanced technologies. And now this is a this is housing for hundreds of families that otherwise would have been competing over the same housing. So I think I'm passionate about that type of thing. And that's what inspires me. You know, the the, the new intro that we put onto the podcast here, I, I have a one-liner for it. It's always weird that I do the intro for the show. And now I even introduce myself. It's like, now your host, Nate Moyer. But I say, this isn't just a show about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And I think the pandemic truly has forced us to all really confront how we live. And I, so I, I personally greatly appreciate that response because I think that it shows that there's such a human element in real estate, whether we're on the tech side or, you know, we're literally swinging the hammer, uh, that we, we keep that in, in mind. We're genuinely building better communities. So, and that that's where everyone wins. Um, William, this has been a really great conversation. Uh, I've learned quite a bit and I, I hope the listeners have as well. And uh, excited for the future of North Spire and what you guys accomplish. Before we close out the show, I would love to give our guests an opportunity if they want to connect with you or learn more about North Spire. Where do they go and how do they do that? Yes, um, you can find out a lot more about North Spire online at www.northspire.com. That's uh, North S P Y R E dot com northspire.com and um i really appreciate you nate i've actually really enjoyed this conversation and grateful to you and all your listeners yeah all right well we'll we'll catch up at some point i'll have to come to new york city i'm sure i'll be there later this year uh at some point because I, I make one or two trips a year uh awesome. and uh for sure we'll hit you up and let you know when i'm around would love that awesome we'll catch you then Well, thanks for listening to the TechNest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right into your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. 
please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.